0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective,
1: 2020 on Vision. Over this next hour, we're going to talk about, I guess, all things finance, but living with financial health and getting our hearts and minds around mindsets around money well whenever we talk about money there are usually some powerful principles that emerge that bring a godly biblical wisdom to the way we think about it and the way we use it so more of that today as we talk about money as it may relate to your circumstances so let's face it, some of us are in survival mode, some of us are battling to make ends meet each week, others feel like they're going through the motions with a desperate hope for a more stable financial future. And then there are others who feel financially secure and even have a surplus enables them to be generous on those occasions when they see a need. Well today we're talking about living with financial health and adjusting our mindsets around money. Now this might relate to you individually, it might relate to your family, it might relate to your local church, it might relate to the way that your City or Town functions under civic leadership. It might relate to the way governments are governing and in the light of the fact that we're not far away from a federal election, let's not say we won't talk about election issues with this today either. Well, our special guest over this next hour... Alex Cook, he's the founder and CEO of Wealth With Purpose, an organisation that equips Christians to honour God with their finances by teaching sound financial planning skills based on the wisdom from the Bible. He has a website called wealthwithpurpose.com. I'll mention that a few times through our conversation, but let me make a special welcome to 2020 to you, Alex Cook. Hey Neil, great to be back with you. Well, Alex, always love our conversations, Uh, always, I love the way that you uh, have your feet firmly on the ground, and even when we sort of talk about things that, uh, you know, airy fairy ideas, uh, you're quick to bring us back to a biblical foundation. Some people will say, well, why are we worried about a biblical foundation? Uh, Isn't money just one of these things that, you know, the government tells us they're going to spend this and spend that, and we're going to have more in our back pockets? Why would we worry about a biblical foundation for our money when we've got uh, a prime minister, and a treasurer, and they're telling us how that how we should manage our money. I mean,
0: this is what people are thinking, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And look, I think the answer to that question is sometimes what we hear out in the world and the day-to-day, and the media especially, are things that are about money that are not necessarily true or not necessarily helpful, particularly when we talk about areas like debt and so forth. So the reason why we need to come back to the Bible is because the Bible actually gives us so much great advice about how to handle money. In fact, it often surprises people to find out that the number one talked about issue in the Bible is, guess what? Money. Money. Yeah, there's more than 2,350 verses across the Old and New Testament about money, wealth, and possessions. In fact, for Jesus, it was roughly 15% of his preaching was on money. And I think something 11 out of the 39 parables were economic in nature. So the, the, the beauty of it is God's word actually gives us great wisdom and great ideas about money. I mean, let me give you a classic example. In Ecclesiastes 11, right, it says, invest in, uh, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Now, if you go and see a financial planner in Australia, one of the first things that they'll tell you when it comes to managing money is to diversify, And there it is in Ecclesiastes, written thousands of years ago. And the Bible has great wisdom about how you can invest your money. Diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So here's the thing. The good news is that the Bible actually gives us great skills uh, that we can apply in our daily life so that we can get ahead, so we can live with financial health. I said in the introduction there, Alex,
1: these principles that apply to us as individuals and into our families, our family budget, uh, into our local church, uh, to our local communities, and even then to the national uh, issues of finance that are going on in the running of a nation. Do these same principles apply at the uh, the miniature, minute, the microscopic level of my finances as much
0: as they apply through all of those other steps? Absolutely. Look, it applies whether you're talking about the local level or the government level. The principle, particularly the principle of, say, budgeting, is exactly the same. So if we do break it down in a really simple sense, like when we talk about budgeting, budgeting is simply how much money is coming in versus how much money is going out. And ideally, at the end of it, there's a surplus. There's money left over. Now, if we apply that to a household, obviously, you've got your income coming in, and you've got your expenses going out, and you want to make sure you're in a surplus. Uh, Unfortunately, in Australia, people's surplus, in terms of when we look at the savings rate in Australia, it's currently only 1%. In fact, if you go back to the pre-financial crisis... Uh, it was actually minus 3%. Australians actually were living way beyond their means. But that's at the individual level. But if we look at, the, say, the government level, let me pick on uh, the United States for a moment. So America has something like $20 trillion in federal debt. But if you look at the last past 40 years, America has run deficits. That is, if you look at their budget, the amount of money coming in taxes has been less than what they've actually spent. And that's been, they've been doing that for 36 out of the last 40 years. And, of course, at some point that catches up with you and they're probably not too far away from that happening. So whether it's a household or a government, the same principles apply. Well, what about those people, Alex,
1: who want to poo-poo the biblical wisdom here, saying that, well, if I go to university and I study a course and I want to become a uh, an accountant or some sort of financial planner, and uh, surely there's lots more sophisticated wisdom around now uh, that does away with all of that wisdom from the Bible. Uh, give us some insights here. And perhaps there might even be a story, your own story, that you can tell about how you come to a point where you say, well, I can see what the sophisticated learning is all about, and this is why I would sort of put my
0: faith in this wisdom. Give us some insights here. You know, look, whilst there's certainly contemporary practices that we can pick up today that, you know, the Bible doesn't actually speak about certain things, like, you know, it doesn't talk about visa cards and credit cards and all that sort of thing, no. but the principles are certainly all, all do apply. But let me give you an example that I see. So in the uh, the property industry in Australia, one of the messages that they put out there, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne in those very expensive states, they, they'll often say to you that, property will double every seven to 10 years, right? That's seen as the conventional wisdom, and that message is pushed very hard by banks and by the property industry. But here's the thing. Is it actually true? And the answer is no. It's not even mathematically possible. I did an analysis the other day where I took my youngest child, who's now one, and if I worked out property prices based on them doubling every uh, seven to 10 years, by the time he's 35 – a, an average Sydney home would be worth $35 million. And by the time he's uh, 70, it'd be something like $500 million. Just ridiculous figures that just never going to happen. But here's the problem with that thinking. The problem with that thinking is that if you believe that lie, that property will double every seven to 10 years, what are you going to do? You're going to go and borrow lots of money to buy real estate. Now, real estate in and of itself is generally not a bad investment. But if you're borrowing huge amounts of money and leveraging your way into it, at some time, there's a risk that A, interest rates rise, or B, that property prices fall, and you get trapped. And what does the Bible tell us? Well, the Bible tells us that debt can lead to slavery. So the problem with some of this modern-day contemporary thinking and the, the things that people learn is sometimes it's just not true or it gets taken too far, and people don't uh, – they forget the, the wisdom from the Scripture, which is things like that You know, debt can lead to slavery. And so they get themselves into all sorts of trouble you <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit of a contrast
1: here as we get this conversation underway and shortly we'll open our talkback lines. In fact, uh, we can open, uh, give us a call now. We'll have you on hold uh, and ready to be able to bring a question or a comment about our conversation today. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can also leave a note, a comment or a question on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. But let's get into a con- Contrast here. Uh, Alex, uh, of what financial health might look like, whether it's poor financial health or good financial health. Is this something that's a, a fairly simple contrast? Uh, how deep do we have to get into this to uh, to appreciate this uh, this sort of difference here? Uh, perhaps
0: we start with poor financial health. What what do we look like if we're poor financial health? <laughs> yeah, it's a great healthy. thing. So look, I break it up in probably two categories. Yeah. One is the spiritual side of it and the other is the practical side of it. So the spiritual side of, uh, of bad health, if you like, is when... When we uh, fall into things like idolatry or we let money uh, define who we are. So, for example, one of the, my, my problems when I was 21 years of age is that with the particular job I had, I, not only did I want to be successful, but I wanted to look successful. So that affected the way I behave with money. So that's very unhealthy because I was getting my identity through the things of this world as opposed to being a precious child of God. So in that sense, that's bad financial health, right? That's the spiritual side of it. And there's all sorts of things there you could talk about, such as greed and discontentment and all that kind of side of thing. But then there's the practical side of it, right? That's where you don't manage money well. And, for example, in Australia, 50% of the population live month to month or paycheck to paycheck. So there's a risk that if they lose their job, even if it's a good job, is that all of a sudden they're going to run out of money very quickly. So that's more the practical side of it where they you know put themselves into a high-risk position where they could go broke very, very quickly. Okay. And then good financial health, uh, and I'm
1: picking up on what you're saying in here and uh, when we talk about uh, financial mindsets, mindsets around money, uh, this is where this is so important because the difference between that poor financial health position uh, might be – around a mindset it might be an attitude rather than uh, the actual substance
0: let's talk about the uh, the good financial health scenario yeah okay so if we start with the, the mindset side of it so to me uh, as a as a believer my belief is that the money that i have is in fact god's and if you look at psalm 24 verse 1 it says the earth is the lords and so what that means is everything that we see and everything that we have actually belongs to god And we as Christians are to be stewards of what he's given us. So that's the first thing. I mean, let me give you an example. If the Queen of England gave you $10 million and said, hey, can you look after it for me? You'd take that pretty seriously. You'd probably be nervous thinking, oh, man, I've got to be careful with this money. I've got to give back $10 million and ideally more. I've got to look after it well for her. But it's the same with God. He's the king of kings. He's not just the queen. He's not the queen of England. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. So if it is his money, We need to take good care of it. We need to steward it well on his behalf. In fact, I like the the definition of stewardship that says stewardship is managing God's blessings in God's ways for God's glory. And in fact, when you think about Australia, we are enormously blessed. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. There are lots of problems and so forth, but we are a very blessed nation. So we need to use what God has blessed us with and manage it according to his ways that we find in God's word. And then we need to use it for eternal things, things that will glorify him, such as helping those in need and funding the advance of the gospel. So that's the mindset side of it.
1: I don't want to take us off on too big a tangent, but the idea that all that we have is God's and our thought is God won't mind if I squander it. But God is, as you say, the king. And I'm reminded of a parable that Jesus told, the parable of the ten miners. And uh, the parable goes that the king went off to receive his kingdom and put the miners in charge uh, with his servants. And I think there was uh, uh, five, three, and one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when he came back, uh, the one with five had invested that wisely and uh, was able to multiply that and brought it to the king. And, uh, you know, here I am bringing this to the king. The king is happy with my uh, work with his resource while I, while he was away. The one with three, he uh, brings it back to the king, and he's also uh, done the right thing with it. Uh, the one with one, uh, well, of course, it was taken from him and was given to the one with five. And uh, the interesting thing is uh, the way that the king's reaction was uh, to uh, the one that was lazy and that treated his resources badly, and I don't know whether this is actually often uh, preached about when these sorts of stories are told in church, Mm. bring him before the king and have him killed. Uh, now I don't know whether you bring that into your uh, financial uh, into your financial seminars, but but there's a uh, what I'm what I'm uh, bringing out here, I think, and I uh, hopefully that I'm uh, reflecting the scriptures accurately. But the king is jealous for the right thing to be done, and we can't squander that which we're given. Uh, we need to be able to. Uh, treat that as a steward. Mm. But the consequences of that if you take that parable and you say if God is king uh, then he will not treat you
0: well if you don't treat things well so far as his resource. Absolutely. Look I think the point you're making really and what that passage is ultimately telling us is that there is a day of accountability coming. Yes, We're going to be held accountable for what we've done with God's resources. In fact The Bible makes it very clear that even though we're all of equal value, in heaven we will not be treated equally. You'll actually be rewarded according to what you've done. So here's the thing, and here's, I guess, an opportunity as much as anything else for those listening, is that how you handle money will determine often whether you're given more, but also the rewards that you will experience in heaven. You know, the more generous we are in this life, the more sacrificial The more you're willing to give up things in this world to advance God's kingdom, the more you'll be rewarded in heaven. And so there will be an accountability. And in fact, I think for Christians, you know, we often talk about the stewardship of our time, our talent and treasure. You know, we'll get to heaven because Jesus died for us on the cross. But then we'll be called to account for how we've used what God has given us, how we've stewarded our time, how we've stewarded our talents and how we've stewarded our treasure, which is what that parable that you mentioned is, is ultimately all about. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events.
1: Our special guest is Alex Cook, the founder and CEO of Wealth with Purpose. Talk back line open, 1800 316 316. Alex, let's take a call. Anne is on the line from Labrador in Queensland. Hello, Anne, welcome along. Um,
2: I'm going to give you a stereo. One, um, um, uh, give to the church, tithe. Two, give outside to Christian finances, um, you know, people who need it. Um, Two, don't use bank card. Always use cash. Um, And another one is also put away something for a rainy day so that when it happens, you've always got something there.
0: Fabulous stuff, Anne. A response from Alex. Look, I think... She's given great advice. I think she should come on air and help us out. She's (laughs) She's doing I mean, what she said is is very accurate. You know, give generously to your local church. Give generously to those outside of the church uh, in terms of meeting the needs of others and other supporting Christian work. And, of course, uh, as she said, save for a rainy day. Have money set aside because uh, I think one of the risks for many of Australians, probably half the population, is living month to month means they're at risk. And so having an emergency fund, as she said, is great advice. And from Labrador, thank you so much
1: for your call, 1-800-316-316. But, Alex, if I give generously to my church, if I give to the poor, if I... Put some aside for a rainy day. Maybe my bank balance might not look so healthy and I might not feel so good. My self-esteem might take a hit. Uh, What are your thoughts for this idea? (laughs) I'm not
0: sure I'd be great on giving self-esteem advice, uh, but certainly in terms of uh, uh, the planning side of it, you're right. Your own balance may take take a hit. But I think the thing we need to – I mean, there's a principle that we apply to this, and that's what we call the 80-10-10 rule. So, yes, you want to give generously to external causes, your church and so forth, but you also need to save for the long term. You need to prepare your own finances as well. So there's, a, there's this weird sort of line we walk down as Christians where we need to look after ourselves and our families and make sure that's in good order as well as uh, extend blessing and generosity to others. So it's that line you walk down, uh, and that's something we've got to you know find good balance with so that your own bank balance is still reasonably healthy, But it's not, of course, your absolute priority.
1: Your whole value is not in your bank balance. Your value, again, coming back to what you said earlier, is in your identity in Christ. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Bill in Ararat in Victoria. Hello, Bill. Welcome.
3: Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on. Um, Look, I've come to the conclusion that we've been with finance. You know, there's two ways of doing it. There's God's way and the world's way, right? And and I come to the conclusion when I look at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, what has to say about finance, that Christians could be today receiving interest-free home loans as simple as ABC. Now, Jesus said to live by every word. He said that he, he, he come to know the truth and, and will be free indeed, all these scriptures. And the reality is this. I, I've taken counsel on this with bankers, Christians who are bankers, and they've said to me, it's as simple as ABC, it's a great idea, but there's only one problem. The Christian church today is so Egyptianised that it's take a couple of generations for them to get used to the idea. But it can be done. And if it was interest-free home loans, the money would be coming in, the, the thing would just grow and snowball and snowball, and then there would be more money for missionaries, more money for... It just defies logic that we're not following the Bible on this. Christians don't need Bill, uh, making
1: some uh, interesting comments there. Let's talk about
0: these things, uh, Alex. What are your thoughts for Bill? Yeah, look, I think um, I'm, I'm trying to unpack some of what uh, you know what's being communicated here in terms of understanding. In terms of obviously the, the the world system that we're in now is the one we have to operate in, but we want to live uh, biblically within that system. I think the message uh, that I would take from what Bill's saying is that particularly when it comes to debt, um, I'm not sure that interest-free loans is necessarily going to be the the long-term solution here, but merely that um, that we're very cautious about how much debt we take on. And I actually like, uh, in, in the Bible, particularly when you look at the Old Testament, it talks about how we are to be lenders rather than borrowers, okay? And so I think the idea there is that that borrowing money is in itself not wrong. So I don't want anyone who's listening to think, oh, I've got a lot of debt and, you know, that's sinful because debt's not sinful. But it can be unwise. So I think the principle that really we want to operate on here is that we need to be very wise with our debt. We need to understand our motives for taking on the debt so that we actually take it on for the right reasons uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses because they've got more than we have. Um, and then, therefore, we should also, I think, try and aim over time to live a debt-free life. I think that's where we should head towards. Um, For most of us, realistically, though, if you want to own a home, you are going to have to borrow money to do so. But I think... The goal is to get out of debt as quick as you can so that you don't get enslaved to it and also don't borrow so much that you can't live generously in the first place. And uh, thank you so much to Bill from Ararat. And I imagine
1: that uh, topping off uh, a response for Bill, I imagine that if you have that capacity for creativity and it may even be a divinely inspired creativity that Mm. keeps you out of debt and that enables you to get into a house without having to go to the bank, uh, then those things could be pursued is that the case? Absolutely,
0: in fact I, um, when I pray for people I often say to uh, pray that God will bless the work of their hands you know, often we, we think about short-circuiting things and borrowing money as a solution to our problem. And I see this with churches. Churches will want to expand, and rather than just relying on the donations from their members, they'll go and borrow a large amount of money. It's kind of build them a, and they'll come kind of attitude. And so what I say is actually, well, hang on a minute. Why don't we just pray here that God will bless the work of our hands, the work we're doing, that will be fruitful in what we'll do, that, that, that our business will multiply and that we'll succeed. And therefore we don't need to borrow the money so it's thinking about that way we've got to remember that God is the source of provision and nowhere in scripture does God use debt to fund his purposes like the building of the temple for example
1: we're taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's hear from Maria in New South Wales hello Maria, welcome along hello, uh,
4: good morning Uh, I just make a little bit uh, comment about um, from, I like that Alex says about to be a good uh, stewardship.
1: Yep, good stewardship. Yep, yep. Yes,
4: I I love that because uh, in Matthew six thirty three it says that seek His kingdom first, right? And I love that. Like if you put it God first in our life, because coming back to like uh, everything is belongs to God. But the issue is like uh, people' have have attitude. There was a like kind of like little bit like, you thinking because I have a three children. We're we teaching them also, like, you know, whatever money you earn, just remember, this is belongs to God. So you, you give to God what belongs to God, and you give it to, uh, you know, uh, Cesar belongs to Cesar. So you have to really teach children and our children to, like, knowing that what God wants us.
0: Maria, wonderful thoughts there. Your response, Alex? Oh, some fantastic stuff there. So firstly, I love the passage you quote, Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. So one of the things in Christian life is we like to say that God is first in our life. But the question I say and often ask people is, well, is he first with our money? Okay, so we've got to put God first, seek his kingdom and put it above all else and let him take care of the provision and the meeting of our needs. And that's why I think what she said is so, so accurate. And, in fact, when we look at budgeting today and when I teach budgeting in churches, what you find is um, we call uh, – when we look at the expenses in a budget, I Paul, could, uh, if you like, call giving to God is the first line item on your budget. Because what actually happens in reality is many Christians actually work out all their other expenses first and then God gets the scraps. But that's not the way it should be doing It's As, as, uh, as Maria is saying, you know, God's got to be first. And so he should be first in our budget as much as he is in other areas of our life.
1: Thank you so much to Maria in New South Wales, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen 316 316 to join in our conversation today. Let's take another call. Daniel is on the line from Hindmarsh in Victoria. Hi, Daniel. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Very well. Daniel, what are your thoughts for our conversation today?
2: Mate, it's really interesting because on my way to work this morning, I have to travel a fair bit on the way to work, and uh, I was listening to uh, Shane Willard, Um, speaking on finances and he points out the fact that there are tithes and offerings not just a tithe and that works on like a 2% tithe 2.5% tithe to the person who's who's feeding you spiritually and then there's the 10% tithe to the organization or the you know the body and then he goes on to a 10% tithe to yourself and then one of those tithes to yourself. Every third one goes to, you should give to someone who is in need.
1: Uh, Daniel, only 40 seconds out from the news. A quick response here, and I know that deserves a longer one. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Alex? so
0: I think he's taking it from the Old Testament here, this idea that the first, because there were three tithes in the Old Testament. The first was to the priesthood, the Levites. The second was to the annual festives, uh, festivals and, and so forth. And then the third one was a, a, a a tithe that occurred only once every three years, and that was for helping the poor. So I think uh, the concept that I've heard there is exactly that same thing. That the three different tithes. In fact, in the Old Testament, they actually gave on average twenty three and a third percent every year. A lot more than what we give in today's day and age. Before we take any more calls, and let me just say, our talkback
1: line open 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Alex Cook, let's talk stewardship for a few moments. This is a theme that's come through with a number of callers in the last hour. Uh, Let me ask you about stewardship because you're not instantly click your fingers and you're a steward. What sort of uh, intensity do you need of Bible teaching to instill
0: these sorts of stewardship principles in your life? Yeah, look, I think uh, a bit of basic teaching is obviously very important, but I don't think it needs to be be massive. I mean, I think the, the key thing is you want to equip yourself over time to learn what God's Word says about money, wealth, and possessions. And there's lots of resources out there uh, that can help you do that. Um, I, I take the view that Money is simple and that you should actually keep it simple. Don't overly complicate it. Uh, and then you'll make much better decisions if you operate it within a simple framework. But look, on our website there's lots of free resources that people can go and download, things like budgeting tools. Uh, we've got quite a few different ebooks that are free uh, that people can go and learn about what the Bible says about money. In fact we've got free online courses too that actually go through a short video program called our mini course. Uh, That's designed just to give you the basic tidbits, you know, about what the Bible says about budging. What does the Bible say about debt? Some of those key things that we interact with on a daily basis in our lives, you can learn about um, very easily and understand a biblical perspective. But also the key issue is also understanding the practical outworking of that, because it's one thing to hear what the Bible says. You've got to actually obviously know what to do with it. And so, as I say, there's lots of free resources out there and people can check out our website, uh, wealthwithpurpose.com. And always a breath of fresh air to know that
1: there are good, trusted resources available when you go simply online and you can access those resources. Not everybody lives close by a capital city where there are big-name speakers coming to do a financial seminar and uh, so the opportunity to access those today. Uh, 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Let's take another call. All Margaret is in Kalgoorlie in WA. Hello, Margaret. Welcome along. Hello. Margaret, what are your thoughts?
5: My thoughts is that I'm really blessed here. I'm not from here, I'm from Papua New Guinea, but I'm blessed in Kalgoorlie because of God. That's how I see. And through financially, you like the person with the financially planning is coming in to encourage us. Yes, I thank God for that, but I believe number one thing in our Christian walk with the Lord to be a blessing to others is like uh, Malachi 310 is the word that the Lord has given to me that we can share with it. I mean, I'm just blessed because what you guys are discussed about, and then like, I I can't say much, but I'm just saying that Malachi 310, God doesn't really need money, but He only needs our faith, our power.
1: Happy before him, you know. Well, wonderful thoughts there. Let's get a response for Margaret in Kalgoorlie. What are your thoughts for her on Malachi 3.10 and uh, the fact that Margaret
0: was in Papua New Guinea, now she's in Kalgoorlie and really gives glory to God? Yeah, look, that's fantastic. Look, as as, as uh, she was saying, with all that we have, we've got to give glory to God. We've got to use what God's given us, uh, and he blesses each of us with different amounts. And what whether you've got a little, whether you've got a lot, you've got to use that money to honour God and uh, and use it for eternal purposes. Uh, in terms of Malachi 3.10, I was trying to think of the specific uh, reference uh, that she was referring to there, so I probably couldn't comment on that per se. Um, but, yeah, she's absolutely right. You've got to use what you have uh, to bless others, which I heard her say very clearly, and honour God with it.
1: Uh, Margaret, we've still got you on the line. Uh, what is? Uh, I haven't got the uh, scriptures open either, but Malachi 3.10, what is that favourite scripture of yours?
5: Okay, my favourite scripture is this. Like, honestly speaking, I came not me, but I'm blessed and I'm overflowing with financially and uh, wealth and whatever you name it, through Malachi And I believe and trust in the Lord with that. Because it says that the Malachi 310 says, uh, um, can I read it?
1: Yes, read it if you've got it there. Yes.
5: Yes, yes. Okay. Bring that full amount of, of your ties to the table so that there will be plenty of food there put me to the fence and you will see what I will open the windows of heaven and for help on your you in abundance of all kinds of good peace That's the word
1: uh, well that's now that you remind me of that verse exactly yeah fabulous verse and Margaret thank you so much for your call appreciate you calling in and uh, I want to invite listeners to call in on 1-800-316-316 and uh, you can also leave a note on our Facebook page Uh, let's just talk about uh, when you have a favourite scripture and uh, and if it is Malachi 3 verse 10 and some people will say this is the favourite scripture I have that inspires me to give Uh, do you Alex uh, like to put your, you know, all uh the uh, everything into to the one basket on one verse, or ought you to be just looking at a broader cross section of the teaching of Scripture to be able to formulate the way that
0: you are appre- appreciate and approach uh, your generosity before God? Oh, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think ultimately we need to have a broad approach to Scripture because we need to look at everything in the in the context in which it was said and so forth. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a favourite passage though that obviously inspires you and and really encourages you to live a generous life. I think that's great. In fact for me. Mine's Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 uh, which talks about the fact uh, that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. And in the very last part of the that particular passage, verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who have been saved. So what gives me encouragement about that is I believe uh, that if we're going to see revival in this country of ours, and I'm certainly uh, very prayerful that that's the case, is that that one of the pillars of a revival will be Christians living very generous lives. And when we do that, I think that will show to the world that we take our faith very seriously, that we love people with what we have, And that's when many people will come to Christ because they'll see the great work that believers are doing because they love God. So that for me is a favorite passage. But like you say, I think ultimately we need that context of multiple scriptures so we have a good, uh, clear view of what God's word is really saying to us.
1: Because when we talk about passages, say in Malachi chapter 3, and uh, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, uh, and uh, that there might be an abundance there and then this promise that God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on us such that we cannot even contain it and there are other scriptures that we could pick up on into the New Testament about you know pressed down shaken together and running over uh, because of your generosity before God sometimes people take some of these things to an extreme but mm. I imagine that what we get from appreciating those scriptures is that God is wanting to be a a blessing to us. He is a generous God, and that generosity ought to be outworked
0: in our own generosity as individuals. Absolutely. In fact, I I love uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, are probably the two best chapters, I think, in the New Testament on this whole idea of generosity. And the concept that you just really tapped into there is exactly right, and that is that as Christians, we should be blessed to be a blessing to others. So God wants us to be blessed and the other I mean lots of uh, other similar verses in the New Testament such as you know you know reaping and sowing for example if you sow generously you'll reap generously so all those same sort of concepts all uh, apply but I but I think here um, you, you know this this critical element is that God wants to bless you he wants you to do well but he wants you to use that money and use that blessing in a way that will impact others
1: A Facebook comment from Terence who says, Generosity isn't about money. You can't be a generous being in one area of your life uh, without being a generous person in others. If you truly are generous, it will outwork itself in every area of your life. You'll be generous with time, with assets, with love, with care and with finances. There is a certain extra dimension in all
0: of that about what generosity really means. Oh, absolutely. I mean, generosity is a broad concept generosity is more than just giving in fact when I teach church pastors about this I talk to them about the concept of stewardship because sometimes people confuse giving with stewardship so some churches are really great about talking about giving and encouraging people to be generous which is great but they don't necessarily cover the full holistic stewardship so what he's saying is exactly right generosity is more than just money it's about an entire lifestyle a whole being we should be generous generous with our time who we spend time with, all those sort of things should be, should be uh, richly generous. Taking calls
1: 1 800 316 316. Jonathan is on the line from Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Yeah.
5: Yes. What
1: you are know, your thoughts?
5: I, I, my favorite is uh, that he that sows sparingly will reach sparingly, he that sow wonderfully will reach wonderfully. So, whatsoever you sow, that's what we're going to reap. Even sometimes we look at time. Me. It's not only one way. You can do tithing in many ways. You can give. Jesus promoted giving freely. So it's not just 10% because the Jewish people are not paying only 10%. If you go down the tithing system, there are many ways of giving in the book of the Bible.
1: Jonathan, wonderful insights there. Uh, just to pick up on this idea of uh, sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, and uh,
0: your thoughts for Jonathan on on just getting those sorts of principles right. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a, it's a great one. I mean, I think the, the what the Bible is telling us is it's this sort of a system in of which we live in. When we uh, live a a life that is outwardly generous the natural reaction, the, uh, the law of the universe, if you like, that God's put in place is that we will reap generosity. That's, that's the way it works. That's the system which God's created. Um, and so I think what he's saying is exactly right. We've got to – but there's a, a fear factor that people have got to get over here because I think a lot of people do so sparingly when it comes to money because of fear. You know, They, they fear about how um, – that if they give money, that it's, it's kind of gone. They don't understand that God is behind them. God is a God of provision. God's a God of abundance and that he can meet all their needs. So there's this fear that your people have got to get over to step out of the boat and to live generously. Thank you so much to Jonathan from Perth in WA. And
1: how refreshing is it, Alex, when someone stands up, and perhaps it's in the context of a local church or a small group, and they give a testimony as to how they were generous and they have received something of a blessing from God that they count as a part of a spiritual blessing uh, and even the physical uh, monetary blessing because uh, they have sown so generously. Now, you can over-spiritualize these things and you can also get very secular about it and try and explain it away. But there's some principle in here that God has given to us that we need to capture a hold of.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, look, I'm not sure there's much more I can add to what you're saying. You're absolutely right. I mean, we... um I find God is amazing. I mean, the fact of the matter is he, he when we step out of the boat and we live a faithful life and we do things his way, he'll honor that. He's a loving father. He wants to provide good things for us. So sometimes uh, he provides things to us because generosity is his character. You know. So I think the risk when people over-spiritualize this is they, they kind of think, if I tithe, I will automatically reap generously. It's kind of this cause and effect. And whilst there can be some element of truth to it, there's also another dimension to it, and that is that God is generous because that's who he is. That's his character. I would expect him to be – he's not going to ever be stingy. That's just not what he's like. And so we've got to keep it in perspective um, that God is generous because that is who he is. Just because you, you give 10% doesn't automatically lead to you, you know, being flooded back with lots of cash, so to speak. And that's the danger, I think, when people over-spiritualise these things.
1: 1-800-316-316, no name, but let's take a call from the listener in Victoria. Hello, welcome along. Hello. Hi, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, I just want to tell you really, really, I'll try and make it really quickly for you. Um, I just want to say, first of all, I was raised in a home with a lot of domestic violence, and that was caused to to a great degree because of my mother's serious illness and all the medical expenses, right? So I had a fear of debt all my life um, and also I don't believe in borrowing money because I believe I have to be able to repay it. So anyway, what happened was divorced over 30 years ago in dire poverty, poverty living and and the kids and that in really um, shabby accommodation because I couldn't afford anything else. Anyway, going along and, and um, praying, praying to God, to, uh, doing some bits of Ordinary sort of work, not making much money at all. Praying to God to get a full time job, and He provided by um, uh, giving me an opportunity to do a course um, for office work, which I did. And then I started picking up little bits of work in offices when people were away sick or whatever. Eventually got a full time job, um, and I still and I was still in rental property, but better better quality. But I wouldn't uh, take out a home loan because I just would not take on, I just wouldn't borrow money. So I I remember I did say to the Lord one day, if you want me to own a house one day, you provide, and never thinking it would ever happen. Anyway, um, transferred to another town um, within this job, and after a while my health wasn't really good and I was struggling. And so I said to the Lord, um, if if they give an opportunity for a redundancy package again, I'm taking it, I'm out of here, I just can't keep up with this. So they did, so I grabbed the redundancy, I've bought a humble little home, and I've been in it for 20 years now, and I am so grateful to God, because never in a million years, if you saw how I was living 30 years ago, never in a million years would I have thought I would own a
0: house. What a wow.
1: wonderful, refreshing story you tell. Uh, Alex, uh,
0: your thoughts for our caller? Oh, I think it's fantastic. Firstly, it shows that God is good. God is really good, and so... I love the fact that he's provided a home here without debt. And I think you've been faithful to this belief that you've had about not borrowing money, which I think is very wise in the sense that in our culture today, people uh, go headlong into debt without even thinking about the consequences. So you've had a view that, you know, debt is is potentially dangerous and you've got to be cautious. And so you've avoided it altogether, which I think is to be, uh, to be admired, I think, um uh, you know, debt can be dangerous. I think, in that sense, you've been faithful to that belief that you've held. Uh, but then you've just trusted in God, and you've asked for Him to provide, and He's He's met that need, and uh, you've been able to live in your own home. So it's amazing. God is good. Thank you so much to that caller
1: from Victoria. Time, perhaps for one more call. Let's hear from Judy in Mandurah, in WA. Hello, Judy. Welcome along
4: morning, Neil. How are you this morning? I'm
1: really well, Judy. What are your thoughts for our conversation?
4: My thoughts for, for the conversation today is Philippians 4, verse 19. That's one of my favorite verses. But um, he, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is just um, speaking there to the Philippians that are uh, commending them for how, when he was need how... They gave him, and um, he was just talking. He's talking also about um, the different circumstances. Um, that you know, whatever circumstances he was, he uh, he was in, he was content. But uh, Judy, um, good thoughts the, in
1: there. You're talking about this contentment, uh, that this appreciation, this hope that we have an uh, understanding of God being good and generous and looking after us, that he's the one who'll supply all of our needs according to
0: his riches in glory. Uh, your thoughts for Judy, Alex? Yeah, no, look, it's exactly right. I mean, I think what I love about that, I love that passage too, <laughs> it's a great one, is that God is a God of abundance. That's, I think, one of the first things. There's no recession in heaven, That's the f- which I think is really exciting. The second thing is that he promises to meet our needs. And one of the things I think too many people are really uh, fearful and they don't understand God's character, that God is above our circumstances and there is absolutely no problem for him to meet our needs. He can do it very easily. And so the great encouragement, I think, from that passage and, and from what's just been said is that we need to learn to trust God for him to meet our needs and realize that he is there backing us, that we don't need to be fearful and that we can live from a position of rest uh, where we trust that God will meet all our needs because he is a king who has no lack. Thank you so much to Judy in Mandurah
1: in WA. Let's just another quick one because time is short. A question on Facebook from Justin who says, Hello, I have a question about debt. Uh, Could you address what the Bible teaches about debt with regards to home loans? And there's been a few uh, uh, comments through the hour about this, but a quick response along these
0: lines, Alex. Yeah, sure. Look, uh, firstly, there's no specific reference in the Bible, of course, to home loans themselves per se. However, there's a number of passages in the Bible that are really useful. So one is around in Proverbs, which talks about the fact that debt can lead to slavery. That's that's the first one. Another one is about not uh, signing a pledge. So, in other words, you shouldn't guarantee somebody else's debt, which I think is very relevant because banks these days can often get people to sign loans as guarantors, which means that you're exposing yourself to somebody else's debt. So, I think that's a very relevant passage as well. Uh, but to me, the the real issue when you take out a home loan is that you uh, borrow, and we always we have a principle at our ministry that you should borrow. Uh, less than 30% of the, your income. So, for example, the home loan repayment should be 30% or under of your of your cash flow. Uh, the other thing is I actually think that it almost should be lower than that these days because interest rates are so artificially low. So there is a risk in Australia if interest rates took up that the average person would find their cash uh, really, really stretched because they, they just have too much debt. So I the think there is a real wisdom issue here is that if you're going to borrow money, uh, firstly, borrow a lot less than what the banks are going to offer, are offer you. We, you. We usually recommend you borrow 20 to 30% less to allow yourself quite a big buffer when you're taking out a home loan.
1: Okay, thank you so much to everyone who participated, whether on the phone or in the uh, Facebook opportunity there we created uh, for you to make a comment or ask a question. Alex, time has run out. Uh, Let me just quickly ask you that if people go to your website today and we mentioned that there's resources on there, there's even free courses that people can do, wealthwithpurpose.com, what's the most popular resource that people tend to access? Is there something special there that uh, that people go for? for when they
0: come onto your website? Yeah, so if they go to a thing called My Toolkit, and so they can download My Toolkit, and what's in that is a budget planner, a debt schedule, a wealth tracker a generosity tracker and a whole range of just little simple tools that you can use to help get your finances into good shape. So they're actual tools so you can calculate your own numbers and work out your own situation and that complements the ebooks and so forth that people can access as well If we keep doing this enough years, Alex, someone's going to call
1: in one day and say, you know what, I heard Alex years ago and he said uh, download the toolkit. I did that I filled out those details, it gave me a whole new lease on the way that I looked at finances because there was a biblical godly principle there and they're going to be able to testify like that lady who called in and uh, with her faith in God uh, took uh, those things that were tough and difficult times and she's seen God see her through into a level where she's able to care for her family that sort of thing is going to come and uh, I pray God's richest blessing on all the things you put your hand to Alex Cook uh, true biblical wisdom it comes to our finances let me point people to wealthwithpurpose.com alex thanks so much for being with us today
0: on 2020 my pleasure neil great to be with you again before you go thanks for listening there's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au and remember vision is listener supported